everyone. Welcome to The Washed Process, a podcast about life, faith, creativity, and transformation all over good cups of coffee. I am one of your co-hosts, Carter Moore, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Kenny G. Kenny, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really good, Carter. It's so good to be with you again. Uh, how are things up in the Pacific Northwest? They are rainy today. We had one day of 70 degree weather and then it was back to rain. I got most of the lawn mode. <laughs> yeah, right. There's Hold a good patch. There's a good patch left. You can make it till July, I swear. You can do it. Yeah, well, my dad comes in this weekend with my stepmom for Mother's Day and uh, he's going to look at it and he's definitely going to give me the eye of, yeah. you, you need to fix this. Right, right. Well, that's okay. That's all right, though. That's, that's what you get for living in the Northwest. You can always blame it on the rain up there, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, and I do. Uh, which, speaking of the Northwest, uh, we have an awesome guest today who's also from the Northwest. Um, but before we get into that, for people who don't know, uh, every week we try to bring on someone from the creative community and spiritual community uh, that has a, a unique point of view. And so this week we are bringing on an amazing writer. I'll let her tell her you about herself. Um, but before we get into that, Kenny, what coffee are we drinking? Or do you want me to go over the coffee this week? I think, you know what, here's the thing. Here's what I love about you, Carter. You are the kind of person who specifically and uniquely picks a coffee for a guest. So if I were to pick the coffee, I'd be like, I tried this coffee once. It was great. And you are waxing poetic over in your coffee corner going, okay, this bean reminds me, this single bean this reminds one me of bean. our guest. Yeah, so please just let our guests know where we got the coffee and uh, why you picked that coffee. Yeah, so this week we're drinking a coffee made by, or I guess technically sourced and roasted by Sweet Bloom Coffee Roasters out of Denver. Uh, personally, I have a connection to this coffee. They had an Ethiopia that I drank in 2014 or something like that. That was the first time I ever had a natural processed coffee, and it, it changed my, my paradigm of what brewed coffee could be. Um, and then we chose this coffee specifically. It's um, based out of Peru, and... Our author today, um, she's an author, spoiler, um, writer. <laughs> we chose it specifically because, I mean, there's so many different reasons. Like, Sweet Bloom does a lot of donation. There's a coffee shop here in Portland that is all donation-based, and they use Sweet Bloom. And I love that um, our guest, the way that she... The way she writes kind of brings a sweetness into the world. And I, I don't know, I just... I, I feel... When I picked the coffee, I just felt a kindredness between the beans and the person. It's I'm sure I could get into the like the specifics of why I chose it. Uh, I'm not going to do that because I'm fumbling over my words. So we're just going to talk, and then hopefully as we drink the coffee together and talk, it gets uh, better from there. So I think with that, uh, we will invite our guest in. Her name is Sarah Billups. Yeah. Uh, she's from Seattle. And so, yeah, welcome, Sarah. Hi. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I... I literally feel honored that you thought of a coffee and then my writing that makes me want to explode with joy. So, so thanks um, for having me. Yeah, of course. Sarah, tell us a little bit. Of, well, I guess we'll drink some coffee. How did you... Let's do that. You have the coffee in front of you. We sent it to you a bit ago. Um, how yes. did you decide to make today's coffee? Well, I thought about a pour over, but we have a Mocha Master, which was back in the day. Very nice. The first specialty coffee association approved brewer. So my oh, husband, my husband works in coffee. He works in importing, and so the oh, wow. the choice of of brewing mechanism was quite intentional. So I thought I would just use. I just did a half pot on that on the Mocha Master. That's awesome. So you have a connection to coffee, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I used to used to write about coffee. Used to write about um, cafes and the industry a little bit. And and Drew actually knows Miguel from Sweet Bloom because it's such a small world. So I was so yeah. pumped to get it in the mail. That is so small. When I when I sent you the beans, I had no idea about that connection until post oh, afterward, great. and then I was like, "Wow, maybe this really was chosen specifically for you." <laughs> <laughs> Kenny, how are you uh, awesome. bringing bring the coffee to your cup today? Oh, you know me, man. I'm I'm Chemex tried and true, so I'm uh, I'm a big Chemex fan. So today, uh, yeah, had a Chemex pour over and just just did uh, 30 grams of coffee and 500 grams of water. So. Which I say just, but I my coffee intake is so high, so people may hear that number and be like, "Oh wow, he's just he's gonna do a, a bunch of coffee right now." We do a bunch of coffee kind of all the time. Fair enough. <laughs> Normally, um, I brew an Amer or I, I 
make an Americano. I'm a straight Americano all the way kind of guy. But because we've had these beans for a bit, Kenny, I went your route. I made a Chemex as well. I, uh, I thought, you know, I actually did the same amount of beans and water. Okay. And we didn't even talk about that on the upfront. So that is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so I guess we will, we should all drink this coffee together. Okay. okay. All right, here we go. For everyone who can't see us, we are drinking coffee. Mm. Yeah, what a good thing to do for uh. such a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, okay, actually. It's think? very different than I expected it to be. Um, Same. Something kind of hits you, hits you right up front. It's really interesting. Yeah, I thought <laughs> it would be more on the, like, chocolatey side because the description said milk duds and i expected just straight milk duds to be honest but it's not that yeah i feel like i should use literary words to describe it (laughs) just like some kind of don't spit the coffee out (laughs) just some kind of big adjectives the word that came to mind was actually cola is like a flavor i got which is it's just new i don't know that i would have said cola with many other coffees Mm. yeah they have cola on the bag too and you don't even have the bag so oh, that's do they, amazing. Do they really I, have cola on the I bag? I literally did not yeah. did not know. That's so funny. Yeah, so I'm holding the oh, bag up so for funny. those who can't see, and it says milk duds, pear, and cola. That makes me feel pretty good. That is that's wow. awesome. What a palette. You, you should be writing for this show instead. Oh my is the podcast over now? I don't know how we do that. That's, that's too good. That's oh, amazing. Man. That was wild. Well, mine's, I, mine has chilled a little bit. I, I made mine a little, a little while ago. And so some of those pear notes, I think it's easier for me to taste that now that it's cooled a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know where yours is at, but um, something that's like a, you know, like a soft acidity, not, not mm-hmm. highly acidic. But I see what they mean with that, that pear. Because there is something that is acidic about it, but it's not like yeah. bright for me at least. Yep. Now it's that bright. you say pear, I was, I was thinking plum or kind of like plum skin. Mm. But now that, now that it, we're thinking pear, yeah. I can totally pick that up. Oh, plum skin. That's great. That's... That's interesting because of the like, that that's yeah, the, 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 when you bite into a plum, there is that little bit of like bite to it. Just the um, yeah. Oh. The what now? Very good Sorry? visual. Yeah. Oh, like just the first bite of a plum, that little like tart burst before yeah. it gets sweet. I'm just writing down new words oh. that I don't know. Give me just a second. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. awesome. Part of this too, Sarah, is, you know, during the pandemic um, at the start, I realized personally that a lot of my relationship with people and with God was based around different coffee shops and the, in the fact that coffee shops provided a space where I could interact um, in prayer, interact in writing, interact with people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so part of the idea for this too, was to recreate that with guests and people that we would normally do this in person with, but now we would just do it over podcast instead. Um, Very so cool. Yeah, that's, that's why we that's send awesome. the coffee to everyone uh, to hopefully recreate that to a degree. But yeah. you've already told us a little bit about writing in your background, but we'd love to just know who you are, how you kind of got to what you're doing now and, and kind of your journey. Yeah, sure. Well, I, um, you know, I'm based in Seattle, Moved here almost 20 years ago, which is wild, but I grew up in the Midwest. I was born and raised in Indiana um, and met my husband at school there. We went to a small a small Christian liberal arts college. There's only so many. It was Taylor. And um, so, we, <laughs> so which is which is famous for this. I'm sorry. This is a horrible way to answer a question about myself, but it just came to mind. It's home to this like world famous ice cream shop, Ivanhoe's. Does that ring a bell? No, well, but we're going to ask him to sponsor us now. The- <laughs> yeah, Shout out Ivanhoe's ice cream. The best ice cream near Taylor. So all, all, the, all there is to know about that school is there's an ice cream shop. Anyways, lived, um, lived in Seattle, moved to Seattle in the early 2000s, kind of as a part of that whole missional church kind of co-housing wave. There was a real thick theme for young younger Christians in that time interested in, in co-housing and intentional communities. So we moved out with several friends and tried doing that for a couple of years, which was um, interesting and good and complicated. And there's different ways to tell that story, but a lot of us started having kids and we just couldn't afford a bigger space. So we kind of dispersed, but that sort of set us off on a bit of an identity crisis because Drew, my husband Mm -hmm. Drew and I moved to Seattle thinking we were going to start maybe plant a church or maybe try to do some kind of work around a retreat center. And pretty quickly, it became clear that not only logistically was that challenging in Seattle and financially, but also there was a spiritual dynamic here that kind of surprised us. Um, In Indiana, we 
it was hard for us to find folks that identified with our interest in aesthetics or music or art. Uh, so we thought that Seattle could be the mythical dreamland of like cool Christians <laughs> doing doing cool art and and having the yeah. cool cool lives. This is again in the early two thousands. Um, but got here and pretty quickly realized that uh, just like I don't know if you guys have heard the this cultural moment podcast with John Mark Comer and yeah, Mark I Sayer, actually Mark attend, uh, had attended Bridgetown with oh, cool. John Mark. Yeah, yeah, so. totally. So you know, in one of the episodes, they talk about this idea of the the city assimilating them. Like, you know, we, we moved out here thinking we could somehow do something cool in Seattle, but it came, it became clear pretty quickly that the city <laughs> is really good at assimilating. And then that era, we just sort of lost our footing a little bit. Um, so I just drew, my husband went to Fuller and got his, his, uh, master's in theology and had kind of a main idea, but I just spent about 10 years kind of flailing, working in, uh, publishing for alt weeklies, doing a lot of writing, but just not sure about how my, identity on Sunday as a Christian matched up with my identity in the rest of the work week, um, mm. b- began feeling like I finally had something to say, uh, in 2016 when Trump was first elected and had a lot of fear about sharing those thoughts and then finally started to write online around 2018. And it's been just a profound gift and, and kind of wild journey. So I've, I've always written, but typically it was professionally for a long time. And then, finally started writing some faith and culture stuff. So I'm, I'm here and I've just, um, just finished my first manuscript for Baker, a book called Orphaned Believers that comes out January of 2023, which is, which has been another wild ride publishing. Oh my gosh. Congratulations though. Thank you. Congrats so much on that. That's amazing. Thank you. What was it like when you started branching out kind of doing your own writing, not necessarily for other publications and stuff, but you should say, you know, in 2018, really, when you started publishing, what was that yeah. journey like for you? Was that daunting or was it exciting or kind of a mixture of things? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a mixture. Um, I, I think that when we, I think that sometimes it takes longer in life to, to know you have something to say. You know, I have some friends that have written books in their 20s or 30s and have, have had a sort of theme or an affliction or, or something, some kind of story to tell. It just took me a little more time. Um, so the getting over the idea of, it wasn't so much writing as it was the idea of talking about being a Christian in America today. <laughs> so really, yeah. I think that I think that the fear was about identifying publicly as a Christian, because as I think we all know, it's very tedious to kind of explain what that means or what that doesn't mean or what language we use. And so there was a lot of, um, a lot of hesitancy in me and to, to start sharing. Um, so really, uh, when I got over that and just realized it was kind of self aggrandizing. And actually if, uh, if like Frankie from the art book publisher found out I was a Christian, she wasn't going to like wake up the next morning again and again, not (laughs) believing it. Like, (laughs) you know, it's just, it was just not a big deal. So when I finally, started writing about my identity as a Christian and culture, people were wonderfully gracious and, and lovely. And, uh, and a few people just decided the content wasn't for them, which is, which is totally fine too. I think that when we start writing, uh, it might feel bad if people stop following us on social media or stop engaging, but really it's just, I think, a way to get closer to the folks that we're really trying to reach and kind of clarify. So, so that's, that's kind of how that happened. Yeah, I think that's um, a surprisingly healthy view of gaining or losing followers on social media platforms. So I just I, I want to say thanks for sharing that particular view, because I think there's a lot of people who are in the creative space that are so, you know, like so hurt. Somebody leaves their, you know, whatever, get it following or, or their platform. And then or, or and then so jazzed when it happens. I remember the early days of Instagram and Carter, not to put you on blast, we were in our early 20s, so I was just <laughs> as insecure about so many things. But I just remember early days of Instagram, you were kind of blowing up. And then there were times that you would post and we would walk through these conversations where I had absolutely zero platform and I have next to zero platform now, so that's great. <laughs> but we, we, we would uh, <laughs> talk and it was, you know, there was some real pain involved in that. And so there was a learning process that comes with that. Um, and do you think that you had kind of, that, that was the learning process that happened maybe 2018, 2019. And now as you're staring down a book, I'd imagine you might be grateful for that kind of perspective. Um, but, but critiquing in any way, the church is a difficult 
line to threat. Yeah. Um, so I know this wasn't on our question, so if this is too, too much. Then <laughs> let, let me let me know. pour some more coffee that, before you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm I'm just going into a line of questioning. I thought she's not ready. For, she's not. I'm not, not prepped not ready, for this. Not like prepped. I'm pouring. Um, so feel free to this say. Gotcha hey, journalism right here. No, no, it's not. I promise. I'm so sorry. No, no. What, what I'm getting at is that it's it is. I think we would all agree a, a hard line to thread because some things in the church feel like they need to be a family conversation and some things need to be you know apologetics almost to to like hey this is maybe not where faith is supposed to intrude so i don't know how do you feel about walking that line where it's like we want to have a family conversation and we also want to make sure that people know that we don't hate them uh, for any number of reasons that somebody would imagine that a christian would hate them um so how do you go about trying to walk that line yeah. in your line of work? And, and then, of course, producing a book is now, yeah. now it's, it's almost yeah, codifying right. it. You know, I think the thing that I've tried to do is be uh, incredibly honest and say, say look, I mean, for example, uh, the, the anniversary of the insurrection, January 6th, uh, uh, Drew and I decided to post a video sort of acknowledging it's been a year and that it is not, there are Christians in the world that are standing against nationalism for these reasons. And we decided to say in that piece, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, like we want you to know this is how it feels. You know, so I've, I've many times, it's a fine line between talking to an ideal reader or a persona or the person you're trying to reach and also acknowledging, I think at least sometimes, hey, everybody else, I, I can imagine how this might seem, or here, here's an insider's view. Like, let me just pull the curtain back and show you. Mm. This is a very complicated and wild time to identify as a Christian in America. So I, <laughs> yeah. I think just naming that is actually very healthy if it can be done yeah. well. But then there are times that I think being able to uh, bring everything to light, to hold the church to account in its brokenness, I, I always, um, I feel a responsibility to do that and always to say that is because it is Christ's church. It is what Christ left us with. We love the church. And so we peel back everything in order to surface what's broken to, to move forward. And so I think that that needs to be done with tenderness and care. And there's certainly times when I've uh, looked back and don't feel like I've done that well. I've either not said enough or said too much, but I'm I'm just kind of trying to walk a, a really fine line in that way with um with the kind of clear vision that that there will always be a remnant of, of Christ church. There will always be a way to move forward and renew yeah. and refresh. Um, so and, and we're walking through a, a, some pretty dark woods right now, uh, but we're <laughs> not alone. And so I guess that's also the other message I try to say, like there are other people with you right now. If you feel like you're an orphaned believer, and when I say that, I just mean a, a Christian looking around the American church and wondering where Jesus is. You know, if, if that, if that resonates then yeah. there are other folks, other folks too. We're not tearing down to burn down. We're tearing down to kind of renew and rebuild. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. I heard a, I heard oh, a pastor ahead, say in an interview. I'm sorry, Carter. No, I, I heard a p- pastor say in an interview um, some, sometime along 2020, which is all meshed together in the last <laughs> three years. But anyway, sometime in that timeline that his, um, in regards to one of the many, controversial things that happened in those years um but he he said that even though his orthodoxy has been the same his orthopraxy has had to change through 2020 2021 i thought that was a really interesting way to say it like the way that i live out my faith has to be a little different now i have mm-hmm. to figure out how to reconcile that what i what i believe and what i you know what i mean like that yeah. still makes sense to me but how i live it out has to has to adjust and change so yeah that's right yeah and you know the if you kind of pull back and think about the kind of higher level dialogue or themes right now around American Christianity, we've gone through we're going through or walking through a time of deconstruction. Now, if you looked at the hashtag reconstruction, it would certainly have a lot of a lot of kind of posts connected to it. So it's kind of like moving through that time. The highlight messages, um, there's a lot of brokenness in the American church, uh, the celebrification of the church, the commodification, the blankification. I mean, there's there's a lot to criticize, but we really love Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's the, the through line is, but Jesus is really great. So I think that with, with my work, um, I don't want to move too fast to Jesus is great now what, but I, in my heart, like what burns, where my spirit is, is shifting is like, what is 
more holiness look like, which really just means being set apart. I mean, if we're serious about Jesus, like, what does that mean? How does that affect our life? And how do we get closer to that kind of reality daily as Christians uh, in the midst of, of a lot going on, of a lot of, um, of rebuilding or, or questioning or, or clarification? How do we do that at the same time is very interesting to me right now. Yeah, absolutely. What are, on that, like, as you're kind of working through it, what are some practices or solutions or things that you've come across as you've, you know, you've been working through all of that? Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I've realized, so with, with orphaned believers, it really looks back at, with the, the book, it really looks back at the eighties and nineties. Those of us that came up in, in American evangelicalism to think, you know, at least in my experience, I was raised with a dad that was very um, into end times culture and kind of mm-hmm. waiting for the second coming and the rapture, which was a common theme with many peers. Uh, I was raised in a culture war setting where single issue voting, um, which is certainly relevant to the conversation right now, um, nationally Absolutely. with Roe v. Wade and, you know, with, where we were really raised on hot button issues and that that was sort of part of our Christian identity, having a certain political stance that was like everyone else's. And then finally, consumerism. I was as much raised in the suburbs as I was at church. We went to the mall on Saturday, and then on (laughs) Sunday, we went to the service. You know, like, how did our life look or feel really different? How were we set apart Mm. or holy? And I realized the kind of missing link was a spiritual formation really rooted in prayer or spiritual disciplines or practice. And so I think that most of my, much of my 30s, I'm now in my is 44 mid or early as an aside i'm i'm 44 early. so i early. i'm just gonna say early i think it probably <laughs> is we're mid. agreeing I think... here for, it's the mid <laughs> no it's it. oh, sorry early it's the early I'm, yes yes it's think, early it's I early i think i'll just today because it's, it's i recently had a birthday we'll still say early but where was yeah. i sorry that was just i just but i i think that um now that i'm here i spent the last decade thinking about what it means to really build a solid foundation uh, in prayer and liturgical practices. I mean, it sounds super trendy, like <laughs> finding God in that every day. Like it's a very, yeah. it's not, it's not like a new or sort of secret sauce, but I really have found so much depth and richness just in sitting in prayer and listening prayer and finding time in my day to kind of set it aside. Uh, it makes all the difference. And so I, I guess personally, I've been doing that work, working with a spiritual director and thinking about ways now that I have kids to kind of raise them up, uh, not being afraid to ask questions, telling them doubt is normal. It's not the opposite of, of faith. Like, let's talk about normalizing doubt and what that looks like. So really, I guess, trying to raise my kids up in a little bit of a different way than, than I was raised, acknowledging that that's complicated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, something you just said reminds me of a, a lyric. There's a hip hop artist, uh, Andy Minio. He has a lyric that says, "The opposite of fear isn't doubt. It's when I have it all figured out." And um, oh, that's so I, good. Yeah, I, I think about that sometimes, uh, especially you know, I didn't grow up in a suburban culture, but I definitely grew up in a similar evangelical sort of environment. Very pro-Zionism. Very. I mean, we we blew the shofar on Sundays. I still got mine. Um, you, know, you, you know. I thought I saw something in the back corner there on the screen. I wasn't oh sure. But. Oh man, if I had it with me right now, I'd. I? For a different podcast. This is a different podcast. That's right. Yeah. Um, Carter and I were Carter and I were interns at the same church in the early twenties, and that's where we met. And uh, my mom, very much in the same vein of what you're talking about. We anyway, my mom had sent me from California to be an intern. And one morning, I'm talking to my mom, it's a Tuesday morning, and there's this guy that used to come into the building where we had our morning prayer meetings at Tuesdays in the morning, and he would go to the four corners and blow the shofar. So I'm on the phone with my mom, on the phone, and my mom is talking to me, and she hears in the background a shofar. And now, keep in mind, my mom knows exactly what a shofar is. She's got one on her shelf, she knows what it sounds like. Okay. So she hears the guy blow the shofar, and she goes like this, oh, do you need to go? And in her mind, in her mind, I was being summoned with the rest of the intern. Like, where do you think I am? I'm an intern at a mega church. They'll just call me. So, <laughs> did, did the blowing of the shohar happen like every Tuesday? Was it every just Tuesday. that day? That's, but, no, every but Tuesday. I wonder why Tuesday is like my question. Because it was the day he had time to do okay. it. I, I don't <laughs> know the guy. I'm just saying, think like belt clip, hat, phone, you know, phone of the belt clip, hat shofar walk to the four corners because it had windows you could see all around 
to the west was the was Pikes Peak, and he would just yeah blow that <laughs> shofar because he that's what he that was his spiritual act of worship. I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to dog and it. For I didn't do context, it. this building is called the the World Prayer Center, and Kenny and I physically live there. I mean, our yeah, life is like there. They had dorms kind of set up for us, oh, and okay. um, that was yeah, that was a pretty common type of thing that happened. So yeah. Anyway, sorry. You, when the shofar joke came, all I can think about is my mom going, "Oh, I'm sorry. Am I interrupting the internship? The blowing of the shofar means the interns must come, right?" Well, Kenny, <laughs> honestly, as you were telling the story, I just was telling myself, "Don't laugh too much. Like, don't. This is a podcast. No. Like, you can't. But it's like, okay. I, if it was just, if it was just us, I'd yeah. be like losing my. That's, that's hilarious. It's, it was a lot. It's so yeah. visual. I'll never forget it. It was great, um, man. What you said, though, uh, where is Where do we really... go from there, honestly? Yeah, Sorry. I, I, mean, I was going to go back. I, I'm pretty sure I interrupted Carter's train of thought with the, no, with the show I, far. I, I went, it was a great aside. I'm, I'm very happy we went that direction. Um, no, I think, you know, what you were talking about, too, around kind of prayer and rootedness and how you're developing um, kind of this uh, holiness in some ways um, reminds me there's a... I'm currently going through this thing called the order of the mustard seed season of preparation. And it really kind of focuses on, um, kind of reclaiming a lot of, uh, things that were built in the original order of the mustard seed, which was started, you know, uh, it was the hundred year prayer movement essentially that launched the modern day mission movement. Anyway, it's really kind of rooted around those same sort of principles. And a lot of things that we even have talked about earlier, um, with, John Mark Comer and in a lot of the almost like new monastic wave that's kind of yeah. happening. Um, and I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition in terms of like where our current culture is at as well. And the things that uh, fuel people and the kind of the incessant need for more and the kind of just unquenched desire for everything, but yet the often emptiness that is associated with all of that too. Um, it's a, it, your, what you said reminded me of like needing to put those things into practice a little bit more as well. Um, mm-hmm. Just because in places like Portland or Seattle, and I imagine Kansas City as well, where Kenny's at, it's like you need those things to combat and to flourish as a follower of Christ in the culture that you're in. Um, yeah, that's right. So that's really, yeah. that's really fascinating. You know, I, I, something that I've been noticing lately with, with writing is that if I mention the Holy Spirit, there tends to be a little bit more of like a, like a tepid response. I mean, part of what you sign up for, if you identify as a Christian is a belief in the Trinity. I mean, usually, usually, <laughs> which, <laughs> which involves, oh, I hope so. typically, yeah, I sure <laughs> hope so too, which involves the Holy Spirit, you know? And so I think that whenever I use a phrase talking, if I would say powers and principalities, like that sounds pretty freaky. It's like, it's interesting how in culture, we're very inclined towards the spiritual. You know, I can go to mm-hmm. Madewell and buy some tarot cards. Like it's it's sort of culturally infused that being spiritually curious is is interesting. But then talking about how there might be kind of a spirit to a place or like how the Northwest might interact in that way, I think then people's minds are like, oh, that's freaky or, or that's wacky. That's too much. Um, at least that's kind of how I interpret it. But But really all that to say, I don't think that it is I think it is worth noting that there is like a culture and a spiritual culture to the region that we're in. And the way to respond to that, at least at least for many of us, is not to freak out or to or to assume that it's a hard place to be or that you can't spiritually flourish here. But instead, just pray that this place would be like would find a, a blessing or be a place that would flourish. And so that's really the work, the work mm-hmm. that I've been doing. And it's been it's been challenging and interesting. So I just wanted to say that as an aside. You mentioned this kind of area, and so I was yeah. just thinking about that dynamic a little bit. I, I'm interested to hear your take on something a thought a thought that I've had that's not found in like a, a numbered verse or something like that. But the idea that a city could have a calling on it, hmm. um, and this is a very much in line with m- my tradition growing up. You know, of like it's a very touchy feely evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, charismatic Christianity, but hear me out. The idea being that if, if people can have a calling, if, if that's something that we can believe, and I, I think I can see that through scripture, then groups of people come together and for one reason or another are tied together in something. Pacific Northwest, that's frontiers people. They're the ones who could, you know, we're, we're not finding success out east and said, let's, let's go forge a new path. And there's something interesting about that. Kansas Cityans yeah. were people who said, 
we have taken land that we're in right now and that feels like a really great thing so let's dig some deep roots and let's establish and there's there's fruits of that i think this is my opinion obviously i think that that can be true um and then with the idea of spirituality that you've laid on that which is like hey there's a about this place there's something going on um i don't know do you think that there's something something to that idea i've spent some time thinking of that like there's a calling on a city and how can the redemption of god's people bring that calling about um, I have an example, a, a thought, but uh, oh, that's I so hear. interesting. What do you think? I mean, yeah. I, when you were talking, I was thinking about the stereotype about the Northwest is there's this kind of ruggedness, an individualism, a migration of folks to this kind of upper left pocket of America who uh, maybe want to kind of set set something new up. I mean, honestly, I've loved Seattle since <laughs> second grade. My husband and I have been fascinated by it since since the 90s when we were in middle school. I mean, people <laughs> that are drawn here, maybe it's for work or for another reason, but there's a certain magnetism to this place. It's beautiful. It's like flourishing and lush and alive. And so it's really quite spiritually kind of awake in that way. But I think it's also true that places feel and express the, the, or, or reflect the people that are there. And that individualism, I think, certainly kind of claps back or pushes back against the idea of, of God maybe doing so. I, I, I don't know that I have the words for it, but I'm, I'm like, I'm like yeah. tracking with you and sort of I'm kind mm-hmm. of like getting there. So maybe you can yeah. tell me your example because I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, so, so for whatever, and I know this is uh, the different stream than you live in as well, but for whatever um, uh, positives or negatives you might have, the idea of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City is at its essence um, jazz music. And the calling of this city, the grouping of people that came to this city you know, 60, 70 years ago or more, um, were jazz musicians moving up, uh, maybe even earlier than that. And there was, a, there was a line that comes through because of the Great Migration, all that stuff that informs that. But the idea is that there was, a, at the center of this city, a movement of improvis- improvisational music. Um, that happened. And so then, really interesting to see a group of Christians committed to the idea of having music go on all the time, <laughs> like 24 hours a day, which is kind of wild. Then, and then the form in which they played that music was improvisational. And so there's just an interesting through line that of all the places it would happen, it would be in one of the hotbeds of jazz from the early. And, and so obviously the, the sound of it is very different and all of those things are very different. But at the core, you're playing a soft structure of music. It has a, a place that it's going. And then you're on top of that improvising and, and playing outside of those lines and then coming back in. And, and of course, they're looking towards the book of Revelation, which says, sing to the Lord a new song. And so the idea there is that they're trying to find a new song based on the scriptures and the prayers that they're hearing. Um, But I just thought it was a really cool intertwining of two things that had happened in the city at two different times in history in the same city with people there that are trying to find a creative outlet. And it was a similar thing. And I just thought that was really interesting to me. And so I was kind of that's nothing but cool. That's so (laughs) that's so visual and just Mm -hmm. oh, that's I I hadn't heard that. I mean, I I know about IHOP, but I I did not know about kind of the roots of it. Mm -hmm. That's that is very cool. Um, Yeah, you know, as we're talking about place and city, I'm just I I think it would be remiss to not mention that the immense (laughs) the immense uh, fallout of what happened in Seattle with with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill is is also kind of a palpable thing Hmm. that, uh, you know, it's been it's been 10 years about or whatever. But, you know, the church that I I've I've gone to, I've gone to the same place for 18 years, like when Mars Hill disbanded, there were maybe a hundred a hundred people or more. And our church only has a couple hundred folks. It's pretty small. I'd say maybe a third of the congregation were folks from Mars Hill. Wow. Many kind of came through. It's kind of, I go to a liturgical church that's a soft place to land. I think it was a good place to kind of be for a little while for some folks. And so many, some folks have stayed that many have kind of passed through. But the, the impact that that had, you know, when we landed in Seattle in 2004, and I mentioned the idea of the city assimilating us. Like, what I, I, I don't think that I realized until this past year how much of that was Seattle being hesitant against, you know, mm. sort of Mars Hill specifically. I mean, the headlines in our local Alt Weekly were just like candy and clickbait, but like really interesting. Like, it was like a beat that people covered. People covered Mars Hill. Mm. There was a hesitancy around evangelical Christians because of, because mm. of that church 
that church mem- members of the church owned a coffee company. They owned a, a music venue. It's sort of like this idea right. of the church kind of infiltrating and trying to kind of turn Seattle, you know, into a Christian town where people had lots of babies and women didn't work, whatever. There's, there's stereotypes yeah. and it's more complicated and nuanced, but really it was a, a broken thing and a hard thing for those of us that were kind of on the periphery, but outside of it to kind of absorb and love people through but really, guys, like just in the past few months meeting for coffee with folks that attend at Mars Hill and hearing how like fresh that wound still is, how many friends couldn't listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast because it felt so fresh, makes me think that there is still there is still just like a wake of, of folks that were, were wounded by that church. And there were so many people in Seattle. So there's certainly that dynamic is still here, too. Oh, for sure. And as a as a writer and you know, someone who used, or I guess like had their, I don't want to say awakening, but like uh, epiphany kind of during the tumultuous 2016 election and kind of subsequent years following that, um, taking into all of that into account with the Mars Hill stuff and the cultural dynamic of Seattle, what has it been like as a writer who focuses on, um, I think, encouraging and providing critique towards the Christian church, um, what has that dynamic been like for you to live in that space? And also, like, I guess I'm trying to say, like, right, agree with or critique in the same way that some of the people in your local community might critique the church, but do it in a way that also encourages and builds up God's kingdom at the same time. It feels like almost too, uh, like a plurality exists between yep. uh, what you're doing and kind of who you're saying it to. Yeah, that's so good. I, you know, I was just at, I'm in the uh, Sacred Art of Writing cohort at Western Seminary in, in Michigan. It's the new, the new Peterson Center for the Christian Imagination has two Doctor of Ministry programs and one's for writers. And I started in the fall and was just there last week uh, in Holland. And it, it's been an amazing, just totally wonderful program. Um, but we had a, a guest lecturer, Leif Enger, the novelist, was our guest this past week. And he started his session by saying, looking around the room and saying, after, after 2016 and in our current cultural climate, why would anybody choose to enroll in a program called the Sacred Art of Writing? Like, why do you want to identify as a Christian plus writer? And hearing, hearing how people responded, not just from Seattle, but from different cities and towns around America, was, uh, was so encouraging and... Mm it made me realize, oh, like we were, we were all drawn here in some way or another, not in spite of or accidentally, but because of what's happened in the past four years. Like it was such a healthy response. And I mentioned that for two reasons. One to say, I think there's a lot of folks and maybe some folks listening that would, would be in the same situation whose ideas or thoughts have become too important to not share in these past few years. Um, and two to say, it's only worked for me because of community. This is a newer community, this writing group in Western, but the the church where I go in Seattle, Grace, has been a wonderfully supportive community of people, some people that I wouldn't have chosen. And that's what I love about church. I love that I'm with people every week of my life, usually, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that I wouldn't have picked. Um, and that uh, it's just such a, a beautiful thing. It's just, um, I love that there's a sort of lack of control when we don't get to decide who we worship around because then you end up loving people so much more for who they are. And I think that people were able to see and receive where I was and encourage, encourage writing along the way. So really the only way that I've been able to walk the line between critique and encouragement is because I've had people coming alongside me in prayer and in community. It's really made all the difference. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's actually something too, that I talk about with others all the time around why I love the local church. Um, you know, it's certainly imperfect in so many ways. Um, but I, I'm distinctly reminded, I I used to be part of a cycling club in Berkeley, California, and I rode with this, uh, other guy and he, uh, pretty hardcore atheist. And he was like, I always admire though, what you have as a church. He's like, atheist, like we don't have 
a church like where you guys, you can just come together. He's like, I don't believe what you believe, but he's like, I love the idea that you have a place where you can come together and meet people who are not like you really in any yeah. sense. And that's also something about this podcast too. And, and kind of the background in coffee that I've always loved is coffee is kind of a great unifier of people as well in terms of building community. Like you could meet someone who is a plumber and a car salesman and a teacher in your <laughs> sphere would never interact with them otherwise, which is that's so true in many ways refreshing considering the often kind of algorithmically driven filter bubbles that we now live in from a almost like a digital consciousness in a sense. Um, and that's also too what I love about your writing in general and how it comes across is it, it speaks into those different worlds, but still um, kind of unifies people too around common themes. So. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, just, I love that about coffee too. You know, I, I love, to drink coffee. <laughs> My husband sure. has been a coffee professional for 22 years, but there's something about cafes and third spaces that mm. I am drawn to and can easily spend any day in any city we're visiting just going to different cafes because I oh, there's yeah. just there's really something about it. And so what a cool idea this podcast is to find a way <laughs> to gather people in a similar setting. Like I think that's um that's really special. So it's oh, really well. fun to to be in the third space with you guys. Oh, thanks for saying that. Kenny knows all about the third space. He spent a lot of time with Starbucks. Uh, yeah, so. is, the, is the third space like a 90s term? Anyways, I don't want to sidetrack, uh, but no, I didn't well, hear it until like the 90s, and then I heard it Starbucks all the time. Starbucks co-opted it. Okay. So, <laughs> Starbucks co-opted it. I, I, They might have even co-opted it from something that's like... Um, more scholastic, I, I think, mm -hmm. but the idea that there's a third space, and so then Starbucks in the 90s said, then we're going to be it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, kind of they did the it. Kind of, I mean, kind of. <laughs> the third space is this idea that you, when you find it, you think it's like your idea or it's the most special. There's something yeah. about it that feels very boutique or something, but yeah. let's not get too floaty. Anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No, totally. Well, um, I think we have one other question here that I, I definitely wanted to hit, and it is just simply if you're, if somebody's got ears on this that wants to be a writer in 2022, what do you, what do you tell them? Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the telling yourself the sentence either to yourself or out loud, um, I'm a writer. Like if you think you might be, you kind of feel like you have to write, like it is so hard for people to get to the point where they can confidently say that everybody here's, I mean, what I would say is if you're writing in the faith-based space or somewhere else, everyone's freaked out. Everyone thinks they're an imposter. <laughs> if you're, if you're not, like if you're super cocky about it, you probably are, <laughs> you're probably a, a rare exception. Nobody really thinks they're a writer. I mean, I had an op-ed published in uh, like a major national publication and the byline said, Sarah Billups is a writer. And honestly, I read it and I, I still didn't believe it. Like I, I, could, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then I realized that uh, I think I was waiting for permission. Even that validation didn't make sense. I, I guess I would say if you're a writer and want to kind of move the dignity of the craft forward, if you have a message that maybe couldn't be spoken on a stage or delivered another way, but if it's about writing it down, then then you're a writer and... If you are thinking about ideas of the church and culture, and if there's a message burning in you about it, I mean, it is so needed. I won't say it's lonely here because there are there are many of us writing and working in this space in in music or um, through books or in other in other mediums. But like, boy, do I just long for more people to move out into that public space if they feel like they have something to say and to just to just dive in. And the other thing I want to say is like. <clears throat> The Christian publishing industry specifically and the way that it's set up with platform um, is incredibly daunting and can feel quite depleting, especially if you're just starting out. But there are wonderful, gracious people along the way that are willing to support what you're doing and share the work. And so I, I guess I'd also just say, don't don't not start writing or don't move towards the goal of, of a book or a big project because of Social media. Let's like admit that it's really hard and sucky, but also yeah. don't let that don't let that stop you. And really, I think that yeah, I guess I'd say those are some of the things I'd I'd share off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's, that's yeah. so good. I do think that it can be easy to see 
like on a hike or something to essentially visualize the giant mountain and think like I will never be able to get to that summit and really it's just a bunch of small steps and eventually you get there and some of those steps admittedly are are harder than other steps but uh you know if you take them one step at a time I think you know to that point it is easier reminds me of a friend of mine who started a a podcast and now it developed from a podcast into a full creative agency and he's doing amazing things but he he's so much younger than me too and he's like Carter you just have to do one percent you know, just do 1% and, you know, go from there. And that's been such an encouragement um, to me. That's that's so good. Yeah, the hardest part for me was just the first writing a first blog post or sharing a first Instagram post almost felt insurmountable and everything else kind of moved into place from there. You're right, it's one series of steps to the next. For a long time, I always thought, oh, that was for someone else. Writing, writing a book or an article, that's not for me. That sounds cool, but I couldn't do it. Um, mm. So I spent a lot of years thinking it wasn't, it wasn't what was in the cards for me. Uh, but it, once you begin, it's immensely liberating and, <laughs> and freeing to know that you're, you're moving towards something, regardless of how many steps there are. It's really true. Oh, I love that. So much, so much to just think about um, all of what you just said. So I, I, we could keep going for hours. I know I specifically could, but uh, we won't keep you. And so something that we do at the end of each podcast um, is we kind of ask every guest the same questions. They're just a, a, a few rapid fire questions that Kenny has prepared and we don't tell anybody up front what they are. Um, but you can know that other people have gone through this before you. Cool. And so, I've never done something like this. I'm totally freaked out. This is going to be weird, but we'll, <laughs> but I'm up for it. Great. I'm totally we'll up it. for it. Let's try it. Yeah. All right, Kenny, I'm going to pass it to you. Yeah, man. So, okay. So it's, it is really just kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and we have a really good bleep button, so don't worry about that. I'm just messing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's okay. Ready? Yeah, let's try. Okay. If you weren't doing what you're doing now professionally, what would you do? Uh, college admissions counselor. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Love the specificity around that. Just, yeah. just, <laughs> you knew it. I just you came to, help, to mind. It's like that idea of like helping somebody get into the right Well, I, th- I think it's because I have a journalism background and I like storytelling. So the idea of listening to people talk about, I think the essays, like the college admission sure. essay is fascinating. I'm glad there's people out there that want to read those things because I would imagine. Anyway, okay. All right, ready? <clears throat> yeah. What is one thing in your life right now that you need to throw away? Um, do you mean like practical or emotional? <laughs> um, I mean, whatever you want it to mean. I, I think that in my mind it was like I've got a shirt that I should have thrown away years ago, but it's got holes in it. But that, you know, that's my personal thing. I've got yes. one. There is, a, oh, I am, there is a whole basement full of stuff that, was, that should have been in a garage sale two summers ago that makes me feel a little bit more weighed down in life all the time that we are taking to the donation place a few bags at a time. There's a lot. <laughs> so like not a specific thing. It's like a lot of it's specific like, things. It's like it's like three years worth of, worth of stuff. There's a lot of baggage apparently. Yeah, <laughs> but not emotional baggage. Like no, literal. No, no, no emotional baggage at all. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, what what is currently your favorite word? Spacious. Spacious. <laughs> I love the verse. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's been pretty important for me in the past couple of years. And I think that as a person that is mildly type A and has a lot to get done, spaciousness just feels like a real gift. So I'm thinking on that word lately. That's so good. What's your least favorite word? Cranky. Probably because it's my least favorite personality trait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say cranky. (laughs) Cranky's a good one. All right. um, Without trying to be clever or cool, what's a music album that you love start to finish? Uh, The War on Drugs, Lost in a Dream, 2014. Listened to it throughout writing Orphaned Believers literally hundreds of times. Like, I've listened to it so much that I think that I might, it might be, like, problematic. Like, maybe something's wrong with me that I can't stop. Do you know what I mean? But my brain just goes somewhere. And specifically, the song Under the Pressure is is my favorite ever but i love that album so much that's great all right what's your most memorable coffee experience oh cool <laughs> um <laughs> oh wow great response uh, oh my goodness shoot i'm literally like scanning all of these cafes okay so when i i used to um write about coffee and i was able to cover the new la marzocco 
opening or space in the KXP gathering space during the opening. And that was just such a special space. And then Drew, my husband works for an importer. They had a model where you could do a different month and each cafe or roaster would have its own kind of menu. So I got to do a whole month and it was just so fun helping him like uh, just attending the opening and developing the menu. I mean, as I'm saying this, I'm feeling bummed because the La Marzocco space is now a Cafe Vita, so they've left the... Oh, no. <laughs> they've left, oh, no. but it was such a special... There's something really magical. Yeah. And I will say, KXP is our local independent station for folks that don't know and uh, is a real lifeline musically for many people. And they've opened this very cool common space where they have shows and and a cafe. So it's quite quite quintessential Seattle right by the Space Needle. And that cafe still is really quite lovely. That's amazing. Well, thanks for doing our rapid fire questions. I hope they weren't too intimidating. For well, you. I'm just but. so glad I could end on coffee and not the word cranky. So thank you for, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah, this for has people, been so fun. I'm so glad. Um, and for people who want to continue the funness with you, uh, I want to make sure that you are able to share where people can find you. I know we've talked a lot about social media and stuff, but considering a lot of your work uh, is online right now, um, where can people find your work? Where can people find yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yep. So I'm mostly on the gram. It's just uh, sarah.billips. And uh, I am really interested in doing more on Substack. I have a monthly newsletter called Bitter Scroll. That, that's been quite fun. So those are the two the two places to find me online. Amazing. And then also you're, you said you have a book coming out, Orphan Believers. Remind us of that date again. Yeah, thank you. Orphan Believers comes out uh, January 26th, 2023 from Baker and pre-orders should be, should be up soon. Amazing. We awesome. will make sure to include all of this in our show notes as well for people to find you and have a digital footprint. So that way you can continue building those SEO greatness. Um, thank <laughs> you so much. This has been a total blast. I feel like I need to go jog or something. I'm just very energized. Oh, good. <laughs> I've, I've never had that feeling in my life, but yeah, I'm sure it's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The Wash Process is produced by me, Kenny G, and it's written by myself and Carter Moore. Special thanks to Radiant Church, Kansas City, for letting me use their studio. The song you're hearing is called Spirit Blossom. It's by Roman B. Love. Carter is a photographer and writer based in the Pacific Northwest, and I am a youth and young adults pastor here in Kansas City. You can find us on Instagram at The Washed Process, and our website is thewashedprocess.com. Check out our show notes for more information and to see the coffees that we had today. Thank you so much for listening.